Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Hello, Saints fans. Welcome into Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. Brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And the reason this Saints squad has been struggling is pretty evident, Jeff. I think injuries coupled with a defense that hasn't been performing up to expectations has been a big Debbie Downer this season. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. We can just end the podcast now. (laughs) But no, yeah, we're going to get into a lot of that. We're going to talk about, you know, some of the latest news and notes around this team heading into week seven. You got the Raiders coming to town. It's an interesting matchup. It's Dennis Allen's former stomping grounds as a head coach, right? So what would be more fitting than kind of turning the season around in spite of his former team, but is also two and five and is trying to do the exact same thing. We're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about kind of the sad state of affairs in the NFC, all that. And then in the final segment, we are going to have a live mailbag. So make sure to get your comments, questions in if you're watching this on YouTube and we'll get to them at the end of the show. But first things first, you know, this is a, this is a Saints team that feels like it needs a spark. It feels like it needs Amen. something, right? Like you can, even if it's just like changes that you make for the nominal purpose of jump starting what you're doing, it feels like something has to change, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, for this team to kind of get where it needs to go. And so, you know, who would you want to do that other than Demario Davis, the you know the the master motivator himself, right? Like he's a professional motivation giver. Um, and so we talked to him and he had a lot to say. And he kind of referenced Alvin Kamara's speech in the locker room after the game. One of the things he said that Alvin said that he really identified with was, you know, this team has to get its swagger back, right? Like last year, you called it the juice boys, whatever. What you want to call it juice, you want to call it swagger. The Saints don't have it this season and they have to find a way to get it back. And so DeMar, enter DeMario Davis. He gets asked the question about soul searching. And he says, you want me to preach? <laughs> and everyone says, yes. And, right. so here, and, this, and here's, here's, what he, uh, here's what he had to say. I'm always soul searching. My goal in life is to be the best human being that I can be. That extends way before beyond the football field. I, I love the game of football because it presents every life lesson that you can ever have. And it makes you a better person. It makes you a better husband. It makes you a better father. It makes you a better teammate. It makes you a better coworker. It makes you a better friend. Because just like our situation, being at two and five, you're going to have stuff that happened to you that you did not expect. Matter of fact, you expected the exact opposite. And what are you going to do when that moment happens? And you have to do your soul searching before that moment happens. Because if you're not prepared when the rain comes, it's too late. And it's certain people that's built for moments like this. And it's certain people that get excited for moments like this. Because when it's dark outside, somebody has to be the hope to remind people that the sun gonna come back out. Mic drop. 
<laughs> That's the best part is the mic drop. Like I don't I don't know if most people kind of understand how these go. They probably do now because during COVID everyone had to watch these. So I think a lot of people probably do have a better understanding of how these kind of uh interviews go. But normally players will stand there and wait for the questions to end, right? There's like a time timer in their head that if no one asks the question within 20 seconds, they're gonna walk off. Well, to Mario, it's like, nah, it's not getting better than that. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. <laughs> do you think he rehearsed that? That's my question. I don't know. I feel like he definitely is a guy that speaks from the heart. Uh, someone that when he does talk, you want to listen. And I just feel like anytime he's speaking, you, you're kind of like leaning in to just, you know, soak in everything he's saying. If, if it was rehearsed, uh, well done. If not, you know, the same. I, I just think that this team definitely hasn't had that swagger this year. And I know a lot of people want to point to the fact a big piece missing. They got, they got rid of one of their swagger pieces in a CJ Gardner Johnson, but one, one team, one person isn't going to make that huge of a difference. I feel like there's been way more issues than his, uh, that kind of fiery personality, not being around. No, I mean, there's a lot more, there's a lot more that you need to, that you need to get to than just saying, okay, CJ's not here. They can't get it done. Like there's energy that isn't in the room that they need to find a way to generate. You need to manufacture it. And I don't know whether that's, you know, partly on the coaching staff, partly on the team leadership, but it did kind of, that, that speech kind of did feel like if you remember the scene in Endgame, Avengers Endgame, where, you know, Captain America's doing his thing and then like Paul Rudd and uh, Rocket, like he's just, he's pretty good at that. Like, yeah, yeah, he's pretty good at that. It's like, yes, yeah, Mario, keep preaching, keep preaching. Because to me, that did sound like it was something that, whether it was word for word, you know, what he was intending to say or what he did say yeah. to the team, it did sound very much like a message that was, not for us. It was for the team. Right. You know, I'm saying that for sure too. He, he, whether he's already made that speech, whether he's going to make that speech, whether he's expecting everyone to watch and hear that speech, that's that's the messaging for this team heading into this week. It's like, okay, you you don't like where you are right now. You don't like this feeling that you have. Well, go out there and change it because that's the only way it's going to change. And, you know, for if anyone else went up there and kind of made that, speech you know it might not come off the way that it does when demario does it but like when he talks you listen and hopefully that's the case inside that locker room as well i have to imagine it is yeah i know him and cam jordan definitely the the big voices for this defense inside the locker room on the field there just hasn't been that kind of energy on game day and you that's what i feel like has been some of the biggest things lacking with their tackling issues is the fact of the want to, you know, you always hear special teams players that want to play and make that tackle. And I feel like the guys on defense haven't shown that they haven't wanted to tackle anybody. Yeah. It's an effort thing at times, I think, you know, and at times it's a talent thing, right? Yeah. And, you know, sure. one, the topic that we're going to have to talk about again, we talk about mm-hmm. it every single week is, you know, who are they going to get back, right? Which injured players are going to get back healthy, DA said on Monday that he is optimistic. He referenced the training staff multiple times. And that this is the, that's the main difference this week from what we had heard in previous weeks, which he's always going to say kind of the same boilerplate things of like, okay, we're hopeful to get these guys back. We're hopeful to get these guys back twice. Now he has referenced the medical staff and that he's hearing positive things from them. So to me, that makes it like, okay, maybe some of these guys are close to getting back. And it's just a question of who that is, right? Is it Jameis? Is it Mike Thomas? Is it Jarvis Landry? Is it Paulson Adebo? Is it Marshawn Lattimore? Is it PJ Williams? You keep going. And so 
we're going to get the initial injury report coming out on Wednesday afternoon. And that's where we're kind of going to get the initial picture. But for guys like Jameis Winston uh, and Paul Sanadibo, they practiced all last week. So we're probably not going to learn anything more until later in the week regarding their kind of status. And Jameis has been very upbeat, very animated. Um, I guess that'd be a positive. He doesn't look like he's dealing with any kind of pain. I mean, still still looks to be walking okay. I don't. I know the back issue is something obviously to be concerned about when when you heard about that initial injury initially. But the ankle doesn't seem to be a problem. Saw him on the sideline game day. Also, Paulson Adebo. Andrews P, Adam Troutman, Peyton Turner, those guys were all at least around the team for game day in Arizona. Yeah, and I, I think for Jameis, I think this very much is a health thing. You know, one of the things, so there's going to be this conversation around Andy Dahl and Jameis Winston. I, You know, from what I'm hearing, Jameis is close. Thursday was never really on the table, but he's close, and it's going to come down to, like, the next few days, whether he's able to get out there in week eight. But in terms of the team and in terms of there's these reports that the Saints really like Andy Dolan because he's a calming presence in the locker room and whatnot. And and I don't even know what that actually means. But when you listen to the the coverage around Jameis Winston and Andy Dolan, there is a big disconnect between what the team has actually said and what people are assuming in terms of how this situation is going. And when you talk to Dennis Allen, he has not once indicated that like there is a quarterback competition he just won't address it at all and he throws it back to health every time and you know if that had changed (laughs) right then that's one thing but like every single time you set him up with the the chance to say one way or the other whether they are leaning toward sticking with Andy Dalton or going back to Jameis Winston he says let's get Jameis healthy right and so like that's to me it's like pretty clear that this is a health thing and when Jameis is healthy enough to go back in there, when he gives the team the, you know, the thumbs up, right? When, when his back is right, when his ankle's right, when his hip is right, he's going to be the starter. And so, like, here's an example of son, how this goes, right? So Dennis Allen was on the coaches show with Bobby Bear and Mike Haas last night. And I apologize in advance. This question is like 90 minutes long. But it's a good example of, like, Dennis Allen gets us straight up. <laughs> what his feelings are in terms of Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston and he, he just completely, he completely just like bunny hops it. <laughs> and I left the question in there so you can kind of get the context. To me, it's a production business. You know, is Jameis going to play against the Raiders, Andy Dalton? I, I take the approach. Well, Jameis is the starting quarterback. So if he's healthy and ready to roll, it'll probably be Jameis. Now, as the season unfolds, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, oh, we're going with Jameis no matter what. Are we going with Andy Dalton no matter what? It's like, hey. Whoever got the hot hand, you got to check your ego at the door. So let's say a quarterback comes in there and we win, and you win another one. And then it might be like, uh, can we go on a streak for a month? And we're playing winning football. So I, I don't know who, actually who's going to play against the Raiders. I said if Jameis is healthy, I think he'll be the guy. Is that the case in point where we're at right now, or, or what's your approach you're taking? Well, look, I think the approach is is that we've got to we've got to put the guy in there that we feel like gives us the best chance to win. And um, you know, Jameis has been recovering from an injury. Uh, I think he's close to being ready to go. Um, and so we're having a lot of discussion about that uh, with the offensive staff, and and uh, we'll put the guy out there that we feel like gives us the best opportunity to win this game, and then we'll just kind of go from there. 
and this has been consistent messaging throughout, right? Like he is not going to take the bait and give you anything. And, and to me, like what you take away from that is if this team really wanted to go to Andy Dalton and have Andy Dalton be QB one, they could have done that. There is nothing stopping them from doing that right now. And the only thing you're waiting on is health. Like that's the only reason you would be waiting, right? If you had already made that decision, you've made that decision. You're going to tell people, and they're very much, I think, waiting on Jameis to get healthy. Yeah, I think exactly the same. The fact that they've said from day one that Jameis Winston is this team's starting quarterback. The only reason he is not right now is because of health. There's no quarterback controversy. There would be no contra- quarterback controversy. And I don't think Andy Dalton has helped his cause any to be the number one guy. His performances were so-so. And then last game just completely, you know, blew that up. And I think everybody's looking for a change now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's been fine. I don't think he's blown anybody away, you know, but he's done the job that you brought him in to do, which is show up and be a competitive quarterback on your team. But, you know, I, I just think like the this idea that there there's an open competition might be a little overblown. You know, I think there there was a chance if Andy came in and just played flawlessly, right? Right, like, exactly. That's one thing. You know, in a game where you need to just be perfect to, you know, make a bad interception in the in the end zone and, you know, just not be de- – like you watch guys like Justin Fields and even Daniel Jones, it's like, you know, you're getting hit in the pocket, but it's because you're standing there like a statue, <laughs> right? Like, like, so I don't give a guy a pass for constantly getting hit in the pocket – like, you know, your protections, James Hurst over there on left tackle and you have some pressure coming around the edge, you got to be aware of it. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's going to be something to watch, but I think that if Jameis is healthy, he's the guy and we're going to, and you're going to go from there one way or another, this game that's coming up, I think is going to be a very big indicator of how this team is going to kind of approach the, the, the trade deadline. And DA was also asked about that and how the team was going to approach the trade deadline. And uh, here's what he said. Well, look, I think we're going to always look at anything that we can to to help our football team. And so um, I wouldn't say that there's anything specific that's happening. Um, but certainly we're, we're always looking for ways that we can improve our team. And, and, and so um, that's certainly one of the ways that you can do it. Um, I wouldn't say that there's anything you know, imminent or anything like that. Um, but we're going to explore all avenues. There you go. All that information that didn't exist in that comment. You know, it's it's kind of that boilerplate, you know, trade deadline rhetoric of like, yeah, we're going to try to do whatever we can to, to improve our team. We'll me always is, pick up the phone. Yeah, I mean, the question to me is which direction are you going with it? Are you sending guys out of town? Are you bringing guys into town? I would be very surprised to see this team in any way, shape, or form adding Add players, add pieces. And, you know, just to follow up on the the last podcast, we kind of talked about this. You know, I didn't get into the the salary cap implications of trading guys out of town. That is a thing that's going to be a factor. But I also don't think it's worth even going into it because like, yes, if you trade Alvin Kamara, you're taking a $19 million dead cap hit. But like if you're trading guys and, and tearing it down, then you are actively making sure that next season is going to be your bottom scraping season. And so you will want to take those dead cap hits like that's fine, but you're making that decision. Like it's either yes or no, you don't go middle of the road. Either you are, you are accepting all the dead money you can get in the next season and trying to get out the other side of that without 
being encumbered by that money or you're not. And you're going to keep trying to run it back with this roster. Those are the two decisions. You cannot go middle of the road there. And so that's where it becomes really awkward. And if you lose to the Raiders and you're two and six, like I, I get it. The NFC South will still be attainable. And we're going to talk a lot more about this at two and six, but like in terms of being a competitive team and like not wanting to hamstring yourself to give yourself a chance at backing into the playoffs, you know, that's, that's very much a, very, that's a difficult scenario for me. What's amusing too, is all the bitching we're doing about the offense. The, it's obviously been the defense has been the main issue for this team right now with all the injuries, the uncertainty of quarterback, all the questions about who should be touching the ball. Th- this offense is the seventh best scoring offense in the NFL right now, which is completely wild to me. Yeah. And if you count the 28 points they've given the other team, <laughs> you know, that's one of the reasons it's like, it's hard to, you can give the offense credit to an extent, but they've also, there's also been three pick sixes and a fumble for a touchdown. So like there, you can on offense, you can hurt your defense. <laughs> oh so, yeah. Like, like the, those stats don't really go against the offense. They just go no, down and, as, a, as a turnover. Last game, obviously those two pick sixes were your, were the call, nail on the coffin. Well, right, not, like, like the Saints not coming back from that. Saints are the second worst team in the NFL in terms of points allowed per game. But if you take 28 points off of that, they're not. <laughs> so like that's a factor, right? Once you give up back-to-back pick sixes, like the game is not on the defense. Like you've lost the game on offense. Yeah. But yeah, it's just got to be a better football team, right? And if you can go out, and I think this is kind of where I'm at with it, is you had 10 days off to figure out what's going on to change what you need to change to get as many guys healthy as possible. And if you can't go out at home against a two and five Raiders team and look like a playoff caliber football team, you don't have to look perfect, but you have to look like a team that I believe can even go six and four. And like, that's what I need to see to feel confident. That's like, okay, yeah, we don't need to ship out pieces. This is a team that's had really bad luck and they're going to turn it around. Like you have to show that this week, because if you don't, then you have very limited time to adjust and figure out what you need to figure out. I think we've made it as a podcast. Now I'm seeing in the message board, we're getting spam from uh, porn bots. Ooh, hot girls here. Yeah. I don't think that means you've made it as a podcast, but <laughs> you know, I guess uh, we're, we're all worthy press- of spamming. All press is good press. Sure. I'm going to go ahead and block them. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's where we'll end that segment. We're getting spammed by porn bots. And uh, yeah, keep it locked on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason for, for whatever you need. Whatever. Gonna, whatever. Unless it's wins, then we can't help you. We're going to come back and talk more about the potential eight and nine Saints and like whether, whether that's a good thing or not. Stick around for that. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And as most people are going to be well aware, there is nothing stopping literally anyone in the NFC from getting to the playoffs. It very much feels like two to three wins in a row will guarantee anyone the NFC South title. And the question is, who's going to be able to do that first? And, you know, if you're the Saints, you should feel like you're that team. You know, I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller here on Inside Black and Gold. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. But 
My question this weekend that I posed while I was sitting here doing nothing but watching football, which was really nice, I think I kind of stumbled upon a, a hot button question. And that question is, if you are the Saints and you finish eight and nine and win the NFC South, do you consider that season to have been a success? And so, Steve, I'm curious, what would you say to that question? If you're winning the division, yeah, that's a success to me. I don't care what the record is, just get it done. The rest of the NFC has shown, too, that it's been just a down year in the conference. And I know, you know, we kind of talked about this before this season of how stacked the AFC was. Now, I didn't expect the NFC to be this bad, but we're seeing a case where, you know, it very might be good enough to to be an eight-win squad to win the NFC South. And I'm perfectly fine with that. And yeah, we consider it success just to make it into the postseason this year for sure. If the season ended today, there would be two teams <laughs> in the playoffs without a winning record. Three and three gets you in the playoffs right now. Right. And that's the Rams who had a bye this week. <laughs> like having a bye is like essentially a half win <laughs> because you can expect all the teams around you to lose. <laughs> and that's that's basically where it's been. And so, yeah, if you're the Saints and you feel like, man, we can get to eight wins, you feel like you have a pretty good shot, right? You already have a win in hand against against the Falcons. They're the three and four team alongside the Bucks, who have you've lost a game to. So you're going to have to kind of think about that tiebreaker down the road. So really all you need to do to get to the playoffs, you need to go six and four and hope that the Bucks and the Falcons go five and five and the Panthers go somewhat worse than six and four, right? Which, you know, this is a team that wants to go worse than six and four. So they'll find a way. So, and I just think, you know, you're going to, you're going to end up in a situation where you're going to find some teams down the stretch of the season that aren't necessarily competing at the top level that aren't trying to get to the playoffs. They're going to try to sink to the bottom. So you should pick up some few easy wins there, but you know, that I think this team can get to eight wins, right? I guess my bigger question is like, would you go all in to get to eight wins? And I would not. No, I'm not going out and trying to make these huge moves to add anything, but I I do believe that hopefully we get a lot of these guys that have been on the injured list back. And I think with a healthier squad, especially man on that defensive side of the ball, that it'll make a huge difference for the team. And I, I, I sent it to you earlier. There's only one game this week that has two teams playing with against each other with winning records. And that's Seattle versus the Giants, and that's wild. <laughs> Go Giants. Go it, Daniel Jones. Nobody would have thought that. Come on. Everyone hates Daniel season. Jones. You know, I saw an article from The Ringer this morning that was really interesting, which is like, you know, the, the big play in the NFL has now become, you know, the, the evaded sack by quarterbacks. Yeah. Like, you know, where it used to be a bomb down the field, now the big play is like you're stopped dead to rights and you're going to scramble and, and extend and get downfield whether you run it or throw it, you know, we saw Joe Burrow do it and, and throw it. You know, we saw Justin Fields do it on Monday night football and run it. And it's like one way or another, that is a huge play in a game because it turns what should have been a loss or, you know, a third down stop or a fourth down stop into a first down. And that is demoralizing for a defense. And so like, that's where the NFL has kind of gone to. And that's why, you know, you look at Daniel Jones and even the Justin Fields, that team's three and four, they're right in it. And you're just like, what do they do? Well, like, what do they do? to a degree that is better than a lot of these other quarterbacks. And it is extending plays. It is getting downfield is using your feet. And I know what people are going to say. They're going to say, well, you look at Justin Fields. Why not Taysom Hill? Well, one of my biggest criticisms of Taysom Hill and why I don't think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL is that 
He is a runner from the quarterback position. He is not a mobile quarterback. He is never using his athleticism to extend a play. He is either standing there like a statue and firing it downfield with very little touch, or he is putting his head down, tucking the ball and running. There is no in-between with him. That's that sweet spot that you need to have with a guy like Lamar Jackson, with a guy like Justin Fields, you know, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Daniel Jones, all of these guys can do that. And so like the, the passing yards aren't the huge thing. It's extended drives. And that's what Daniel Jones and the Giants are doing at key points. And that's why they're six and one. It's a big part of the reason that the Saints are not because a lot of their successful drives this season have been on big plays. I think they lead the NFL in passing plays of 40 yards or more. And it's like the modern NFL is showing you one thing and the Saints are, you know, it's like they're, everyone's zigging and you're zagging, but it's like everyone knows that zagging isn't the way to go. And you're zagging anyway. On the flip side, are they also giving up the most uh, 40 yards or more plays in the NFL? I don't think so. All right, because it feels like that, but I guess that's just, you know, the uh, the misery of watching the game. It, it, you know, everything seems like it's obviously worse than it is. See, I don't think the the I don't think explosive plays have been the biggest problem. I think the run defense has been the biggest problem. This team actually has been getting off the field on at 66% of its third downs. It has one of the top third down success rates in the NFL. And it's it has been, you know, the occasional explosive play. But, you know, the issue against the Cardinals wasn't them bombing it down the field. It was the fact no. that when you needed a stop, you couldn't get it because they were running it in your grill. And so that's why when you listen to DeMario and it's like, yeah, okay, he's, he's not happy about how things are going. And that's why it's not because it's not because, you know, Tyler Lockett kept running over the top and getting big plays, you know, that, that happens to a lot of people. It's the fact this is not an imposing defense. This is not a defense that anyone looks at and is intimidated by with the way it's playing right now. And so like, that's why I look at this and I say, the reason I would say that Eight and an eight and nine division title is a success has nothing to do with, you know, what you want it to do or whether, you know, your goal is to get into the playoffs one way or another, the record doesn't matter. It's that the Eagles have your first round pick. And if you were able to win the division title at any record, you could be seven and 10, you could be six and 11. Obviously that's not going to win the division title, but you get the idea. The best that pick can be. If you win your division is 19. And that is like, if you make the playoffs and losing the wild card round, right? Like the best they would get is 19. And so you added number 19 in this most recent draft <laughs> because the Eagles made the playoffs and lost in the wild card round. <laughs> so if you were able to do that, then it's a wash. And at the very least, you're going to be able to go into the draft and not have to hear about it <laughs> over and over and over and over and over again. And for that reason alone, I consider it to be a win. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. But r right now, I've been hearing all the talk. I think right if the season ended now, which I hate when that gets brought up because we're nowhere near that, the Saints would give the third overall pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. And obviously, I won't say it's not going to end that way, but it, the likelihood of it finishing like that, I think, is highly unlikely. Yeah. And uh, if this season kind of has to suck already, <laughs> I'd at least like the draft to not have to feature that. So like that for that reason alone, like, yeah, hundred percent, that would be a victory. But the follow-up to that is like, does an eight and nine finish? Like if you finish the season with a six and four record in your final 10 games and you go eight and nine, does that give you any confidence that like, like you still regressed from last season, even sure. if you made the playoffs at eight and nine, because your division sucks. Like you, you were nine and eight last year in a year where you lost 58 players and you started four different quarterbacks. So like, 
if you weren't able to improve from that, what, wh- why would you think you can continue to improve down the road? And so that's where like, you might make the playoffs. I still think you might blow it up. Yeah. I, I would say that at least, you know, from the early adversity, you know, once again, that you're facing, that you're able to rally and get the guys motivated enough. Cause that, that's a big key too. It's like keeping the players on track and still motivated to play uh, with the sight of hopefully making the playoffs. And yeah, I mean, going into next year, there's, there's a ton of questions starting with quarterback, honestly. And then, you know, some of your aging stars, who's going to stick around. Um, I know a lot of people are wondering if this team's going to move on from Michael Thomas uh, due to his injury situation. That's been constantly ongoing and it seems to be a new injury every other day uh, with him. Hopefully that toe issue gets fixed and we, we get to at least see him at practice this week. Maybe Uh, that'd be nice. Uh, He did send out a tweet uh, earlier on Tuesday. So hopefully that's a positive sign, not just some cryptic rap lyric that he's putting out there. Uh, But yeah, I mean, to me, just making the playoffs, winning the division is goal number one and winning the division puts you in the playoffs. So those are, those are the biggest key right now for this team. And amazingly, it's still attainable. So I would say, yes, this season would be a huge success. Even if they can win this, the division, it'd be amazing if they can somehow pull it off right now. Yeah. And I think that would make it feel even worse. That would make the season feel even worse. If like all you had to do was get to eight wins and you couldn't do it. And then there was like, if you go back to like 2018, you're going 13 and three and you're not even getting the one seed. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you're not getting a buy in the playoffs. You're, you're the three seed in the playoffs at 13 and three. Like, you know, that's, it's just, it's wild how that works. Um, but yeah. And, and, and the funny thing about it is, you know, the saints are very familiar with the prospect of a seven and nine team making the playoffs. And it's like, yeah, they can win a game. We know that firsthand yeah. because that's what happened in the beast quake game, which is ironically, if you watch the Thursday night football broadcast, they had a, they had like a segment of Marshawn Lynch going around the French quarter with a sign that said, sorry for the beast quake. Oh, I uh, missed that. Yeah. And it's like, what, what, what a well-timed thing because the saints could be going to the playoffs, trying to be that team again. And what, how, how fitting would it be? How perfect would it be if the Saints become the seven seed at at eight and nine, and you know the Eagles fall back and they're the two seed, which would be hard. But the only team that could probably push them is the Vikings. They would have to fall behind the Vikings to be the two seed. Otherwise, they'd be a wild card and then they'd be five. If they're the two seed and the Saints beat them in the first round of the playoffs, how how poetic would that? Just to make the draft pick that they own worse. And I'll take a Beast Quake Taysom or AK showing for sure. But no, yeah, so I've been scrolling through kind of the replies. And you, so you can see, like, oh, there are a lot of people who had a feeling about this. Like, I'm still scrolling. I've been scrolling, yeah. like, for the last, like, five minutes. What's the general consensus? I'm sure everyone's, if they make the playoffs, it's got to be positive, right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Usually it's, like, one or the other. But this has been very, very 50-50 kind of split. Like, okay. some people are just like, no, this team is trash. <laughs> I don't want to watch it anymore. That'd be the worst thing that could happen. And others are like, well, yeah, I'd like to see a team in the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. Some people are like, well, if they go and they win a playoff game, that'd be a success. You know, I, I don't, I don't know about that. I think either you, you made it or you didn't, you feel good about it or you don't. Um, but 
it's it is just it is wild. And like it hasn't even been that long since the team made the playoffs with a losing record, right? The, it was two years ago in the 2020 season. You know, it's it's definitely a, a thing that's possible. And at, you know, my at the end of the day, I kind of look at it like you're a football fan because you want to see unlikely things happen, right? Like, like it's part of the fun is like crazy stuff happens and you get to root for it one way or the other. So like, if you're one of the people who's like, man, I don't even want to watch if they're only going to go eight and nine to make the playoffs. Like then why are you watching it at all? Cause like, that's the, that's the fun is like things happen that you're not expecting and you get to bitch and moan about it and you get to scream about it when it's good. And that's what being a fan is, right? Yeah, and like we've seen just this season's been so wacky, you know, Tom Brady and Tampa Bay struggling. And they look bad doing it. I mean, struggling is an understatement. <laughs> they lost to the Panthers with <laughs> P.J. Walker and Chuba Hubbard as the quarterback-running back combination. It's crazy. Uh, the Packers, that's another one that no one I, – I guess you kind of expected them to have some issues with the lack of wide receivers for Aaron Rodgers, but they don't look good at all. Yeah, it's almost like having Romeo Dobbs as your top option is a bad idea. Hmm. Like – Devontae Parker, every every loss has got to be like, see, I'm sorry, Devontae Adams. Devontae Parker's on the on the Patriots. He also had a, he had a nice catch yesterday. But, you know, it's, yeah, Devontae Adams is like, yeah, see, you should have paid me every every time. And, I mean, the, his his team is two and five, so it's not like he's doing much better. But I'm sure, you know, he's he's not, you know, in a, in a rage pushing people over when he watches the Packers play. No, and another one, too. We just saw the, you know, the New England Patriots, the – the model for NFL franchises struggle greatly on Monday night football and lose at home to the Chicago bears. They got blown out at home by the Chicago bears. I think it was a defense, which is bill Belichick's forte looked awful. Yeah. Cause Justin Fields is good quarterback. I'm tired of hearing about how he's, he's not a good quarterback. Like he's a good quarterback guy. Like it takes time for players to develop. That is the thing that's like drives me nuts about how, how teams handle rookie quarterbacks is it's like, they're going to take time. They're not going to be perfect. If you want them to be starter ready when they go in the game, they can't start as a rookie or in their first two years, you have to do what the, the chiefs did with Mahomes. Like if Mahomes started as a rookie, he would have been bad. If Aaron Rodgers started as a rookie, he would have been bad. Like they were able to develop in the background. And then when they took over, they were there. Um, if you're expecting Justin Fields to go out there on a, on a, on a, just, just, I don't even know. And horse hockey roster as, as Mike Dettelier would put it. I was going to say, yeah. Who's he throwing to Darnell Mooney? Yeah. Like Darnell Mooney, no offensive line, no running game. And uh, yeah, he's going to be, he's going to elevate that team. No, it's going to take some years. Um, they also didn't have a first round pick this year because they gave up a second first round pick to go get him. That's not his fault. That's the Bears' fault. <laughs> right. So, like, and that's the thing. Like, Saints fans, pro- I don't feel like they understand this. Like, if you bring in a rookie, you're going to have a down year one way or the other, right? So, if you're if you're thinking after this season, you are going to have to find a new player in the a new quarterback in the draft, then you are essentially just just signing off on a rebuild because you're going to have a down year one way or the other. Yeah. And I- I don't know what the future holds, obviously, if I don't I don't think either one of these guys, Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston, are the future of this franchise. And whether it's going to be via free agency or the draft, the Saints are going to have to make a move somewhere, a quarterback for sure this in this offseason. Yeah. And, and I guess to kind of wrap that up, I don't think going eight and nine and making the playoffs will change that equation. Right. If you were sitting there now saying. I don't think either of these quarterbacks is the future of this team. Then that's probably going to be how you feel at the end of the season. Like unless things 
turn around drastically to the point that you're like, wow, this is better than our wildest imagination. Fine. And that, that's all, that's all the reason you need to put James Winston back in the game, because you know that you're not going to get that from Andy Dalton. You're going to get consistent. If you are trying to just tread water and get to the playoffs and that's your only goal long-term, then fine. Stick with Andy Dalton. <laughs> Cause I think that he can tread water enough to, for this team to get to the playoffs. But if you want a team that can get to the playoffs and maybe win a game, you know, maybe, maybe ascend to the point that you really feel good about it with pieces healthy and with, you know, an offense that's had a whole season to gel, then I think it has to be, it has to be James. But again, either way, eight and nine, if they can get to 10 wins, right. If they, if they win eight of their last 10, right. If they get to a record that like you're in the playoffs and you're feeling good about it, that's another thing. Yeah. And obviously if they can go on this run that we're talking about and build some momentum, who knows what happens in the postseason, obviously, but getting that confidence and quote-unquote swagger back is is a key for this team because they are swaggerless at the moment, uh, it's, it, except I'll say for some plays with Taysom and when Rashid Shahid touches the ball, there's plenty of swagger there. Swag Kings. That's what we call it. has been good too. Unfortunately, just hasn't gotten the end zone. Swag light? Swag Prince. All right, that's where we'll wrap that segment up. We're going to come back and do a live mailbag. I'm sure we have plenty of comments and questions in there that we can we can dive into. I'm sure they're nice. I'm sure they're all talking about how great this Saints team is and how good the coaching staff is and how everything's stayed the same forever. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold. Closing things out on Inside Black and Gold, Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak getting into the fan mailbag, one of our favorite parts. Also, Inside Black and Gold brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And I'm sure, like you said, as we were closing things out in the second segment, Jeff, there's got to be a ton of positive messages and fan mail that we need to read. Yes, yes. All these nice, this nice pile of positivity over here. It's alliterated and everything. And the first question we're going to get to is from Tim Fabenro, hope I'm saying that right. Do y'all realize we are the number three offense in the NFL with practice squad wide receivers, Taysom and Alvin Kamara? Clearly, clearly the issue is simple. Wake this defense up. And I agree. I mean, the question of Jameis or Andy kind of is independent of the fact that one way or another, the defense has to play better. So it's it's less about like who you think can win games for you on offense and, you know, more about like the player that you are committed to for the duration of the season. But yes, one way or another, the defense has to play better. You are allowing 28.6 points per game. And while, as I said earlier, 28 points can be erased from that if you ignore the the pick sixes and the, and the fumbles for touchdowns. So that number is a little unfair. But at the end of the day, it's you are what the numbers say. <laughs> and right now, the numbers say this defense is allowing a lot of points. And it's hard to, it's hard to give them a pass in any respect for that, even with all the injuries. Yeah, one guy who's not a practice squad receiver, Slave, who has been that dude, looks every part of, you know, that guy you traded up to get for, been totally worth it, which has been at least a saving grace, huge positive. I know everyone is bitter about not having a pick for next season and the Eagles holding out right now. But, man, Chris Olave has been as advertised this season and a huge bright spot for the offense, obviously. I would argue the only bright spot for the offense. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like what, what I, I other would bright spot? I mean, you, you were dead on with him being more productive than people thought he was going to be as, as a quote unquote tight end. Yeah. 
But I, just because I'm right, doesn't mean that he's been like, I expected that. Like, this is what I expected from him. I think to be a bright spot, you would be, have to be shining above what the expectations were. And maybe my expectations were higher, but like a red zone dynamo, who's going to steal all the Alvin Kamara's touchdowns. That's what he is. All of so, them. So sure. I mean, in the sense that he has been productive, fine. But I mean, beyond that, you know, Cesar Ruiz maybe has been a sure. positive thing. You know, he got a lot of grief over his first two seasons. I think he has been excellent um, through the first seven games. He struggled against the Falcons in that opener. And right. we remembered Grady Jarrett, like blowing him off the ball. But, you know, I think he's he's been good. And so, you know, you look at all these picks and all these first round picks who might have been disappointing. And, you know, you still haven't seen Peyton Turner on the field for more than a couple mm-hmm. games at a time. And so at least if you can look back and say, man, OK, well, that first round pick wasn't a waste. And hopefully this the one from last year can get on the field and be a little better and be more productive. You start to feel a little better about the you know young talent that you have on the roster. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's, it's been the defense that is, that is, that is aging. That does not look like it can get the job done. And if that, if that picture is accurate, if that is not a mirage and this defense is just too old and too like a step too slow and just doesn't have it, then yeah, you're in trouble. Definitely. And I, the, the biggest thing we talked about it earlier is their inability to stop the run, which had been such a strength of the unit and what they really hung their hats on, but they, they, they've been getting gashed all year. Shifting course here. Yes, sir, fan 2 Could the Saints trade for Jimmy G? Well, not this season, because the 49ers aren't trading him. Trey Lance is done for the year, and this the 49ers team just traded for Christian McCaffrey, so they're trying to make the playoffs. Right. Uh, so n- the answer is no, not this upcoming week, in my opinion. I don't know, but is is that where we're at right now? Where we're asking for Jimmy G to come in because that, is that really an upgrade at quarterback? I, I, that's that's one I think I've posed to a few people. Would you rather have Jameis Winston or Jimmy Garoppolo as your QB? Yeah, I mean Jimmy Garoppolo is very much the Kirk Cousins like mold, like right there. Like he's going to win you a good number of games, but he's never going to do anything outstanding. He's thirty years old. You have the book on him. You know what he is. He is going to be a free agent at the end of this season. So if you really wanted to go Jimmy G, you could you could get in a sure. bidding war for him. You know, he's a league average quarterback, in my opinion, just like Kirk Cousins. You could do worse. But I mean, yeah, right. If if you're looking for a bridge to a young starter, then you might as well stick with the guy who's under contract, which is James Winston. So I, I think James Winston's going to be around next year. It's just going to be a question of whether you go all in to get a young quarterback um, or or you do, do something else. But I just don't think that they're going to they're going to pay at the top of the QB market um, for anybody. No, and to me. Jimmy G is the furthest thing from an answer. Yes, sir. Fan. Oh, two again. Chris Harris actually played well as DB. I, I disagree. I mean, <laughs> Chris Harris did what he performed admirably. That's what I will say. It is not a situation that you wanted to put Chris Harris in. He is even when he was in his prime, he was a nickel corner, right? Like he wasn't an outside corner. Like that's not how he made his money. Like he should not be playing outside in any context. And so for him to go out there and do what he did, you know, it's hard to hold that against him, but he, he's not a guy you want to keep running out there on the outside. I'm sorry. Like if you, if he, if you're forced to go to him on the, he was started six times in that game. He allowed four catches. He was also right. flagged twice. So yeah. where was yeah. the good place? <laughs> right. Exactly. And that, that to me, obviously forget the talk of Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, whoever else, that cornerback situation right now is in dire straits. 
you, you know, you got to find out what's going on with Marshawn Lattimore, Paulson Adebo, and now Bradley Roby's added to the mix after I think it was like the third play of the game. He ended up going out in Arizona. So that that's going to be one to watch, obviously, this week at practice. Yeah, I think he had an ankle thing. So that's something to watch. I would expect Paulson Adebo is close. He practiced all last week. So that was why I was kind of a surprise when he was inactive. But it did explain why Alante Taylor was getting first team reps in practice coming off of injured reserve. And, you know, as Adrian Marquez says here, who else is proud of number 27? You know, I know Dennis Allen is proud of number 27. I know Chris Bouchard is proud of number 27. He, I think he had an excellent game. For perspective, so we said Chris Harris was targeted six times in coverage. He allowed four catches. Alante Taylor was targeted five times in coverage and allowed one catch, and he was not flagged for a penalty. So, like, you know, that alone, you know, you give him credit. You know, he was thrown in on a, a short week. He must have been because you didn't know that Paulson was going to miss. Came off injured reserve. He missed the last four weeks, and he looked he looked excellent. So I think you're going to continue to see him. But yeah, there, there are a few bright spots. Like we mentioned, Chris Olave, maybe Cesar Ruiz. I think Alante Taylor after that week was one of them for sure. Yeah, definitely on defense. He's been a bright spot for sure. And I know we've talked about this before, obviously, is that the fact of everyone questioning why the Saints were taking a corner in the second round. And it's like, well, you see that now with injuries. Plus, with what Alante Taylor has been doing, he looks like that guy as well and someone that can contribute in the NFL, not just on special teams, but on the outside at corner. VB Saints Pels Lady says, let's hope DA grows a pair and does something besides take a knee with 40 seconds left to go before the half. I think Dennis Allen isn't as strong a motivator as Sean was. You know, that's, I think that's fair. You know, I, I don't know. Um, they stuff definitely haven't looked motivated. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, I, I it's tough to make a determination either way. But, yeah, I think there was definitely a lot more accountability with Sean. And, you know, maybe that's something that you can improve. But, yeah, that that taking a knee with 40 seconds left and two timeouts in the first half. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that was against the analytics, considering you were down two touchdowns at the time. Like, a field goal there is huge. And the Saints were like, no, no, it's all coming off the rails. We need to get out of Dodge before we make it worse. And that's... Ugh. Like you're talking about like, oh, do you trust your quarterback? <laughs> like that's not a sign of trust to me. That's one thing I worried about definitely coming into the season. Obviously, Dennis Allen is not the same personality that Sean Payton is. And Payton being a more aggressive, fiery type of person. And maybe to a fault, Dennis Allen seems a lot more laid back. No question. Yes, sir, fan. O2 again. When Jameis plays, he forgets about Alvin Kamara. Since Andy has played, he feeds AK the ball. And I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a fair critique. And I think we said this on the last, or I said this on the last episode, which is like, if you were starting a team today, you would not like handpick the pairing of Jameis Winston and Alvin Kamara. They just, the skill sets don't work together. You know, it's, and it's not about one, like Jameis not being good enough. It's just about what he does and how he kind of operates as a quarterback and checking down to the running back is not high enough on his list of priorities to justify putting him with a premier pass catching running back. Which is crazy because you have that that stud and Alvin Cabrera there. You think it'd be in his brain to feed him the rock more. I mean, I'm sure it is. But at the same time, it's like when you're trying to go deep and you're trying to push the ball down the field, it's hard to kind of make those two things mesh. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he can be better about it. We saw him be better about it in his final full start last year. He threw to Alvin 10 times in that game against Seattle. So, like, he can do it. I just think it's it's a, uh, it's more about, like, kind of fighting his own nature of trying to get it downfield all the time. And if you have to do that, if you're trying to coach something out of someone so that you can incorporate another piece of your offense, it's probably because the, those two pieces don't necessarily fit that well together. And Alvin can fit with just about anybody. Like it's still going to be 
with Jameis and with a guy who might not be targeting the running back as often, but it's not optimal. And that's all I'm saying is AK part of the reason AK was so elite is that he had a quarterback who was elite at getting him the ball and elite at checking down quickly and getting the ball out quickly. And it's just, it's, it's different with Jameis in there. And with Andy, it's a little closer, I think, because he's not a guy who's pushing it downfield. So I, I get that criticism and I get that, that the, the um, annoyance there a lot because I get annoyed by it. And I'm sure Alvin gets annoyed by it, even if he's not willing to admit it. Uh, like he knows he should be catching the ball. So yeah, that's if, if, if and when Jameis comes back, I think that how he used Alvin is going to be a big part of like whether this season can kind of figure itself out. Yeah, it was one thing when we spoke to Camaro recently and he had these glowing things to say about Andy Dalton and being so approachable and able to talk to. Definitely made your ears perk up. And I was like, wait a minute, is he is he speaking on Jameis or is this kind of is it a breeze thing? What I was wondering, but the the lack of getting, you know, enough attention or enough play in this offense when Jameis Winston is that quarterback is certainly a thing for Kamara and is uh, to me, you know, obviously unexcusable when you got a guy like that, that is your top offensive weapon for sure right now uh, with Michael Thomas, not in the mix. Well, I mean, I will say it's not only whether it's a Jameis or a breeze thing, it could be a Teddy thing. It could be a Taysom thing. It could be a Trevor thing. It could be an Ian thing, right? There's, there's plenty of guys you can look at and be like, well, maybe he was referring to them. So you know, I, I, I don't think that I think Alvin's a savvy enough person that he, he and I think I said this previously, he wouldn't have said that if he was referring to Jameis because he knows better than that um, in terms of someone who you can't go to and talk to. He wasn't savvy enough to be quiet to the cops in Las Vegas when they questioned him. Oh, come on. <laughs> Nola, baby, Kevin Conley. Well, to be so god-awful and have the coaching changes in the division, the Saints are so fortunate to get a lifeline at two and five. So this start to the season is necessary. Uh, I agree with the first half of this in that, yeah, like you should feel confident if you're the Saints. At Like you said, you have a lifeline and it's like all you have to do is come out and win a couple of games, right? Like you can't erase the two and five start. But the way that everything has played out, the two and five start is not disqualifying you. So all you have to do is say we have a 10 game season ahead of us and we need to finish one game better than two teams that you have a head-to-head matchup against. So, like, everything's in front of you. Like, like DA says that all the time, but it's true. You control your own destiny to an extent. Now, could the Saints technically beat the Bucks and finish with the same record and lose that tiebreaker? Yes. But that's really the only way. Because if you finish with the same record as the Falcons and you, and you win that second game against them, you win that tiebreaker. So, you're in good shape there. So, it's really just like, you pretty much control your own destiny now. It's just a matter of going out and winning and that's really all you can ask for at any point in the season. So it's a matter of whether the Saints can can get their head out of their ass, to be completely honest. No, we keep hearing now, obviously, one game at a time. Just win one game. Forget about talking about the postseason. Yeah, I get it. But in the grand scheme of things, obviously, everything that this team wanted to attain going into this year is still very much a, in front of them and, and attainable because of how down the NFC and the NFC South is currently. Brian Russell, who the hell gives players days off when they lose? DA is the loser here. I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. Well, maybe he knows the pulse of his team and how banged up they are too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, confidence is a, it may, might not be a, a fragile thing, but if you, if you don't give guys a day off when they, in their one 
of two like outlets to get them, I think you're, you're going to have a riot on your hands. That's a good way to get fired. That's a good way to lose a locker room is to, is to just be like, no guys, we're showing up on Saturday. And there's no, and Tuesday, there's no day off either. We're practicing. Yeah. I mean, that's just your normal schedule, right? It's, it's like you get a bye week It's like, they're not going to show up every day on the bye week Like that's just the deal. I don't have a problem with, with the players getting a day off. Cause at the end of the day, like the players need to, you need to go home and, and figure out, what they need to do to get better, right? Like the coaches can only do so much. And I would be surprised if DA took a day off, right? <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm sure, sure he's sleeping at the facility. Right. Like he's, he's trying to get this fixed. You know, that's one thing you could say about DA. And it's like, you know, it might not always be working, but he is always working. Like, you know, it's very much like the duck thing where he's like the calm on the surface, but like paddling underneath. Like that's DA. And it's just, you know, it doesn't always resonate the way you want. But I don't think the issue is is him not working hard enough to any extent. No, I think I think the problem is from fans' uh, perspective is they don't they're not seeing him go off on anybody on the sidelines, go to any kind of tirade, and to them that means a lack of passion. And I, I mean, I can understand to some point, but that's not fair either. I think. Marvelous says, "Why are we so disappointed with the defense? The defense performed like this during the five game losing streak last season when the offense was stagnant." I'm not sure what that means, but yeah, I mean, the defense wasn't great during that stretch either. You are, you are correct. Um, part of it was the offense wasn't sustaining drives right in that Eagles game. I know Trevor Simeon threw a pick six. It was, you know, the, the Cardinals game went very similarly to how the Eagles game went last year, where at the late in the first half, you know, it's a competitive game. You're behind, but it's a competitive game. And then just pick six changes the entire equation. And you go into that second half and you never really felt like you were in it. Uh, and that's what happened um, on uh, on Thursday. And, you know, it's it's funny because that was the final game before they, they pulled the trigger to put Taysom Hill in there. I don't think that's what's going to happen this time. But, I mean, yeah, it's the, – the defense definitely wasn't holding up its end. Um, but the offense made life as miserable as possible on them with, you know, two touchdowns allowed that they could have no control over. Hitting back on the defense, too, with we were, you know, praising, you know, Alante Taylor being one of the bright spots this year. I think also linebacker Pete Warner has been one of those guys, too. Uh, disappointing has been the transition from safety. I mean, the losing, you know, Marcus Williams along with Malcolm Jenkins and replacing them with Marcus May and Taran Matthew didn't seem like it was going to be this huge drop-off, and it just – it hasn't worked out so far. It, it has not been a bright spot for this team. It has not. So, to me, that I mean, that's why, you know, you talk about disappointing defense. We expected them to carry this team, and I think that's pretty general statement for everybody that was a Saints fan in the media, that this was going to be a defense defense-first ball club. There was even the crazy notion that people were talking about Dome Patrol – you know, with, with the, with this defense this year. And that that's why it falling flat right now has been such a disappointment. Uh, I can't even come up with another word for it just because, you know, the missed tackling, the lack of turnovers, uh, the lack of pressure. I think I said shoddy tackling, big plays, all of it all around. It just seems very disjointed. And I don't know if it's because a guy like Malcolm Jenkins is gone and he was the key to that communication with the whole entire unit, not just the secondary. 
No, I mean, it just hasn't clicked uh, one way or the other. So hopefully, hopefully, DeMar Davis can preach and people will listen. Is it, is it too many chefs in the kitchen, too, with, you know, you've got three defensive coordinators, that's, essentially? That's, you don't I don't think, think so? that's it. I, re- I really don't. I, like, again, you always have a secondary coach and a defensive line coach. It's not different. It's just a title. I don't, like, I don't buy that at all. Like, the defense has to be better, but it's not because you have too many people who are trying hard. If anything, it's that you're not deputizing them enough. And I think, you know, I'd like to see DA take a step back and let them do their jobs a little more than than be so um, involved on the defensive side of the ball because maybe that will help. Um, But I don't think it's because you have two defensive coordinators. Because, again, it's like they're doing their job one way or the other. So, I don't know, that's where I kind of am with that. Fair enough. I mean, it just to me, I'm looking for any reason right now because – it just blows my mind, honestly, that there's been such a huge drop-off in the play of the defense. And I don't know if it's as simple then as saying they just got older. I mean, yeah. I mean, I th- at a certain point, it might be that that they did just get older and that Tyron doesn't have enough left in the tank. Cam doesn't have enough left in the tank. It's crazy as that might be to say, you know, and DeMario and um, all these other guys. That's a question. Um, well, but- I feel like DeMario's play hasn't really dropped at all this year. We haven't seen him struggling. Yeah, I think I think he's he hasn't had the range that I, that I, you're used to, and you haven't seen him. You know, it's like there's a reason that Pete Warner is leading this team in tackles by a wide margin, and it's not because Demario's getting there first and saying, "Here you go, take <laughs> this." You know, it's I think that to an extent he's not getting he doesn't have the range that he did, and that's not to say that he can't still be a very effective middle linebacker, especially with Pete Warner next to him. But you know, I don't I don't think this is peak Demario that we're getting. You know, and. 33-year-old guy, you're not expecting him to be peak, but he had managed to to elude the 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 you know drop-off for so long that you kind of just assume that he's gonna be that same guy forever. But at a certain point, you do start to lose a little bit. And I think I think you're starting to see that with DeMario. But like he's always gonna be the effort guy, he's always gonna be the leader. And I think that kind of that, that allows you to to uh you know kind of figure that out. Well, we need him to preach more and bring the juice. Yes. The days of the juice boys need to return. That's another one I know Saints fans were pissed off about is letting Quan Alexander walk to the New York Jets. He wouldn't be playing this year either way. Right. So, I mean, like, as you see Pete Werner playing, it's like it becomes more obvious why they were like, yeah, sorry, Quan, we're not going to sign you to be the backup because that doesn't make sense. You go go find reps somewhere else. And that's what he did because this, this Saints team knew what they had in Pete Werner and they wanted to start him. And so that's, that's where we are. Maybe, I mean, maybe you can criticize you lost some some personality with a guy like Quan, like a like a guy with Chauncey Gardner Johnson. That might maybe that maybe that could be something to this defense this year is you don't have enough of that attitude. That's fair. Um, but I think that's it for me. You got anything else? No, I'm uh, ready to start uh, getting ready to break down the Raiders. I'm I'm ready to start correcting myself from saying Oakland about 50 times in a row because that's what's going to happen. Las Vegas Raiders, the same way I keep saying San Diego Chargers, they don't exist anymore. The Oakland Raiders don't exist anymore. It is the Las Vegas Raiders, and they're coming in town. You got Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs and company. We're going to get into a lot more of that in the Friday morning podcast. Hopefully we can get a Raiders insider on to talk about that. So stay tuned for that later in the week. You've been listening to Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And let's figure this thing out. All right. Two and five, but far from dead. Peace out.